This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, President and Chief Clinical Officer of Providence in Seattle. Dr. Compton Phillips, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And please do call me Amy. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I am an internist by background, um, and I have been at Providence for the past six years, having come from 22 years before that spent at Kaiser Permanente um, and have been focused on providing clinical care to, to accelerate us into the future of health for, for the whole time I've been here. Fantastic. Well, um, I know this has been a really, really uh, different year with the COVID-19 pandemic, and now we're getting towards the other side of things, but I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your top priorities today. Yeah, well, 2020 was definitely, I, I think it's going to be seen as a watershed year as we move forward. You know, we've got the the pre-pandemic, the during pandemic, and as we're on the leading edge now of coming out in the post-pandemic space. And um, I, I, we all knew that healthcare was changing in the pre-pandemic time, then we had this interruption. And in the post-pandemic period, uh, I, I personally am spending a lot of time focused on three big things. One is on the affordability of care, that at the moment we have a significant number of disruptors coming into healthcare because healthcare is just unaffordable for too many people. And how do we provide great care at a cost that human beings can afford um, in a way that is, is convenient, easy, accessible, and compassionate for them? So affordability is job one. The second is access. Um, as we saw, again, during the pandemic, that if you happen to live in Seattle, you have great access to healthcare. If you happen to live in a rural area or in a downtown area that's a healthcare desert, very little access to care. And so how do we make sure that care is accessible wherever you live in a digitally enabled way um, that, that really takes away the geographic boundaries? And the third one is equity. Um, and again, during COVID, we saw that that some communities had had easy access to care. Other communities had incredible barriers to care. And so if we can really solve for affordability, access, and equity, we'll have created a, a healthcare system in the post-pandemic world that we all want to receive care in in the future. Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering, could you give us any insight into some of the projects or initiatives that Providence has begun or is planning on doing that could really make a difference in um, the access to care realm? Sure. Well, something we started, again, in the pre-COVID era, because we knew that that um, that healthcare had to change, that what we think of as healthcare 1.0 was really the system that we built during the 1900s that um, started out with hospitals at the center and then you hang off physician practices and lab services and ambulatory surgical centers and urgent cares, all kind of centered around the hospital as this brick and mortar nexus of care. And as we thought about, well, that, that really isn't what people want, right? If you think about your customers, it's not what it's not what patients are asking for. People in communities are asking for. It's not what insurers want to pay for. So if you come at it from a consumer or a customer perspective, what we need to do is put people at the center of care and then hang off healthcare services when and how people need them around the outside of that. And so we, we started 
deconstructing healthcare, like really breaking apart the business infrastructure we had in Providence and, and reconstructing it, putting those pieces back together in what we frame our health 2.0 infrastructure. And that means putting patients at the center and having hospitals as a line of business having our urgent cares and express cares as a line of business, having our medical groups as a line of business and expecting each of those businesses to function around the center of that patient. And then by the way, around that outside, have tools and technologies and enabling infrastructures that make those lines of business work well. And those could be having a pharmacy line of business that, that enables that, having data, having liquid flow of data that fuels and powers the entire ecosystem so that for those people at the center, you have an interconnected, digitally enabled, AI-supported set of tools that allow us to seamlessly interweave and connect those, those sources. And so that kind of health 2.0 future is something that we think has gotten a huge leg up during the pandemic. And you just, just look at telehealth, for example. Um, look at our ability to form organizations like Truveta to enable that liquid flow of data. So we think that that the the direction we were going pre-pandemic got accelerated by many years <laughs> during the course of the pandemic because it needed to. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, I'm wondering, how do you anticipate your role and your teams will evolve over the next 18 months, given some of the things we've talked about already? One thing, again, I keep going back to 2020 because, because it was this watershed year of, of incredible learning, is, is what you saw at most health systems and, and across the public health infrastructure of the country is that clinicians really had to stand up and lead, um, that, that we have some incredibly skilled healthcare administrators, but a healthcare administrator doesn't know what to do when a pandemic hits, right? And so... So something that we've really focused on is saying we need to be clinically led and professionally managed and make sure that we have people who know the care side of healthcare working hand in glove with the people who know the administrative and business side of healthcare so that we can create this system. And so because of that, we now have um, much richer representation and voice of clinical leaders, the doctors and the nurses and the respiratory therapists who understand patients really in designing our systems of care. In doing that, it means we're, we're having a much more patient-centric method of developing our digital tools, of asking and answering questions with data. And so those are the kinds of things that I think we're gonna continue to accelerate. Um, how do we not just have telehealth as a tool, but how do we use telehealth to move knowledge, not people, in a way that that clinicians, that doctors and nurses are willing to embrace in their daily practice? So it, it is it is making marrying up the technological and and analytics innovations that we know are feasible with the workflow of that healthcare workforce that I think is going to see the largest acceleration over the next eighteen months. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And really thinking about the technology side of things and data and then how that applies to the patient with the elevation of clinical leaders um, within the boardroom, it really makes a lot of sense. What are you really excited about right now and what makes you nervous? I'm really excited about the pace of change and I'm really nervous about the pace of change. <laughs> you know, um, there is, there's this 
um, graph that Clay Christensen published, and and I, I when did the innovators prescription come out? It must have been the late '90s. That has the the um, two lines on it, and so just imagine uh, one line going up. And then halfway along the graph, a new line forming, you know, below the first line and then going up, right? It's the, so kind of these two, two S's, but one S shifted down and to the right. And what that, that graph is designed to show is that what incumbents do, and I would say hospital-based healthcare systems are incumbents, what they do is they grow, they get bigger, and then they kind of stagnate at this high cost system. What's happened, and it got accelerated during the pandemic, is kind of down market disruptors. So think of the Amazon care. Think of Apple has their own care system now um, out in, in, in the Bay Area. Um, we have Optum coming in. And these organizations own doctors. They own ASCs. They own data infrastructure. Um, they own telehealth. They own everything except hospitals. And guess what costs the most money? hospitals. So they're able to provide care at a significantly lower rate um, in a way that provides, ideally, particularly because of the focus on wellness and capitation and trying to keep people healthy and well, that, that they are able to price things at a significantly lower rate and then have minimal use of hospitals. Those are going to disrupt us if we don't disrupt ourselves. And and by the way, for the community, that's not such a bad thing if we can provide this care for a better rate, but we better be able to ha somehow have an economic model that allows for hospitals to exist. Because if you're in a car accident or if you have a, 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 if a major appendicitis with your appendix ruptures, you need to have a place to go to take care of you, right? So we need to have these 24 seven capital intensive big boxes have an economic model that exists. And meanwhile, we're, we have all that, that sunk capital that we've got to somehow afford to keep open while we have a lot of care coming in these new economic models. That's a huge amount of pressure for us and that we need to figure out how to cross the zone of disruption between those two curves. Um, and we're actively trying to do that. So the opportunity is huge. The need to innovate is huge. The time is short, um, but, but, you know, where there's, where there is um, uh, disruption, there is huge opportunity. And so I, we are, we're willing to accept it because we need to. That's a great synopsis and thinking about how the healthcare environment has changed. And as you mentioned, the ecosystem really around healthcare is being pushed in a new direction by some of the disruptors and innovators. But you're right, as, as you mentioned, you know, the hospital is so necessary for communities and to treat um, certain aspects of uh, healthcare that, you know, you have to have that around as well. I'm wondering now, could you share three important trends for emerging leaders in healthcare to follow? Um, absolutely. So um, let's see, I, I'm going to go with the, the three tens. Let's, let's just call them digital, distant, and holistic. <laughs> um, the, the digital one is just like everything else, in our lives, you know, it is it is craziness to assume that people are going to be happy with only booking an appointment between nine to five, between Monday and Friday, um, on our terms. You know, call call today, wait on hold for half an hour to get an appointment that's inconvenient for you a month from now, right? Like, 
how rational is that? So how do we make sure that the same digital tools that have revolutionized travel and banking apply to the ability to access care and healthcare? And that means we've got to really, we've got to really get our doctors comfortable with um, with seating authority to book appointments online. So it's there, there's kind of this this give away from the autonomy and the ability to manage your life as a doctor <laughs> to be able to go digital. But but we know it's it's absolutely critical. So digitalization of care. And by the way, what else can we do without without requiring an appointment, right? What can we do for telehealth? So really this kind of this concept of simplifying easing the way for for consumers, I think it's huge digital, distant, um, that we found during COVID, we did not have to have people come into an office. And in fact, we were able to provide a significant amount of care because of the easing of cross state restrictions, um, that we really could move knowledge, not people to be able to provide care. And so that now if we can provide care at a distance, if you're in a rural area and the doctors all that treat that problem happen to be in an urban area, well, as long as we continue to have cross-state compacts where, for medical licensure, we can provide care wherever people are in a way that gets them the care that's needed using remote technology. And so that's that's distant. We can really we can really start to move knowledge, not people. And by the way, if you're a primary care doctor and you have an ongoing relationship with somebody that you've known for 20 years, minimizing the regulatory hurdles is huge for us because if you happen to be in Seattle where I am and your patient goes on on holiday in Miami and they call you or they do a telehealth visit with you, today we're not allowed to treat that patient because they're in a different state. But there, you know, why is it any different zooming with them in Miami than it is in you know over in Bellevue? Um, it, it shouldn't be any different. So, so really updating, allowing the cystic care, updating the regulations that allow us to provide care much more seamlessly for patients, I think would be huge. And then the third one, I'm saying holistic, with the with the push towards and a very good push towards value based care, it all of a sudden flips the model that doctors get paid to take care of sick patients and instead says doctors get paid to keep people healthy and well, and oh, by the way, provide excellent care with them when they're sick. And so um, I really do think that the, the, depending on where you are in the country, has been somewhat nascent trends towards shifting to value-based care is gonna dramatically accelerate um, and, and ideally in a way that provides capitated primary care and some kind of bundles based for specialty care so we can, we can have the healthcare workforce join in this journey towards, towards much more holistic value-based care. So digital, distant, and holistic. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much, Laura.